Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galanti along with Andrew P. Shea. Andy, a busy, busy news week for the Nittany Lions, wasn't it? Yeah, it's been crazy that the you know the sort of fallout from losing their sort of mini two game, both the games in their mini two game only games that sometimes seem to matter season, and the way again I will reiterate, it's not that you lose sometimes, it's the way you lose and how you lose, and I think this year more than anything with the talent level between Penn State and Ohio State and Michigan being less of a uh, gap than in previous years. It's just the talent difference between Penn State and those teams is marginal at best. And with that kind of talent gap, it's how you lose it really, really leaves an impact. And, you know, these were not, these were ugly losses. They were ugly football losses, not ugly in the way they lost or like heartbreaking because it was like, oh man, they were right there. They were really ugly, you know, sort of football losses. So overall, and it the fallout, something had to give because the pressure was so great, but it has been a crazy week. You are right, sir. It has been one crazy week. And oh, by the way, they do have a football game this week. They do, but you know, Andy, you said it right when, in essence, this was a two-game season. Right. People came into this. You know, is there a possibility somehow, some way Rutgers will pull off the upset because Penn State has the hangover after this loss? Yeah, I guess that's possible. But I'm not I haven't talked to anybody who's talking about the Rutgers game. It's Correct. all what has already transpired. And you know, going into this season, the assumption was there would be ten wins on the schedule. And then there's two games that would determine how this season goes. And you hit a couple other good points. This, I believe, is the first year that the fans, and I'll throw in the players and the coaches, believed they were on an equal talent level with both Ohio State and Michigan. And if you lose, it's not one of those that you could dismiss as, you know what, they just had more talent than we did. Not the case. So when you, especially it gets so ugly on the offensive side of the ball in both those games, Andy, you got to point at coaching, don't you? Oh, 100%. I mean, the offense in the two big games and a lot of the offense overall in general, and, you know, that's why Mike got fired. It just, it completely, it looked like it didn't have any sort of like plan or purpose or, you know, or continuity of recognizing one thing or setting one thing up to do another or recognizing your weaknesses and understanding what they are and covering them up with your strengths and setting up plays. They were literally calling plays to call the next play. It never felt like Penn State's offense, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you think I'm wrong, Jimmy, it never felt like Penn State's offense was calling plays for a greater good or a bigger plan or to set something up to do something bigger and better at some point later in the same game. 
it always felt like they were just play to play and they were just calling a play to call the next play. And earlier in the season, I said that, that they looked like a high school offense and I figured out, you know, with more seasoning and a little more time watching, that's why. Because they literally did not have a big plan or purpose or understanding of what this offense is. And maybe James had it and Mike Yersich couldn't see it or couldn't execute it for him. Either way, the product on the field came out looking like they had no idea what they were doing. Literally. They literally had no idea what they were doing. With an abundance of talent at some positions and a lack of talent at others, hello, that's no different than any other team, right, Jimmy? That's not like they are dealing with something that's unique. It was just they were not able to understand what they wanted to do collectively. And that showed up. I agree completely, Andy. And I'm going to bring up one of my favorite topics because I feel like I understand it. And that's the T formation that they ran last year. And if you can bear with me with that, you could watch that T formation advance through the season in the 22 season. It started, and most people don't remember this, it started out as a quarterback sneak formation. It Then the next step was you had two running backs and you could run left or right depending on the strength of the defense. They then went from that to where the players, the same players, the three tight ends, the two running backs, they shifted out, had a diamond formation to the left, uh, Tyler Warren to the right, do we like that uh, matchup with Tyler Warren? You, did the defense cover the four men in the diamond to the left correctly? You could see the progress. And to your point, what they did initially was setting up the next step, which set up the next step, which set up the next step. I go to that because it felt like you never saw anything this year in that way. No rhyme or reason that, look, we'll do this. And once we show that we're doing it this way, boom, we have something to work off of it. Never happened. It was completely dysfunctional, which leads us to, Andy, just what happened? Mike Yursich came in with a sterling reputation as this creative offensive mind. He's, I know there's questions at wide receiver, but there were still plenty of tools here, good tight ends good running backs, the offensive line was as good as it's been, a five-star quarterback. What happened? Whoo, $64,000 question, Jimmy. So I'll tell you what I, th- what I think happened is I think, Mike, it, was, it revealed itself that Mike Yursich can't make a little bit of chicken salad in an offense without elements – to use in in both phases of the game at a pretty high level. He had a rookie Greenhorn quarterback. He had two talented running backs who have underperformed. He had a wide receiver room that he knew. Kendra Lambert-Smith was going to be the top receiver, and he was number three last year for a reason. He knew that was going to be a weakness to cover. So he had strengths in the offensive line, strengths at the tight end, strengths at the running back. Greenhorn quarterback that will need development and time, which, but talented, and a clear-cut weakness at the wide receiver. He couldn't build an offense with those elements 
that from that from game to game, play to play, series to series, quarter to quarter, looked like it had a purpose. What is your plan? What is your what are you trying to accomplish? And the personnel groupings kind of match that, Jimmy, right? Like it was mix and match. You'd see three wide receivers, and then you'd be going like, who's out there? Who are those receivers? Who who's out there? And then, you know, it, it the personnel groupings just they didn't match up, and he was never able to make this offense function other than the fact they had infinitely more talent than other teams, especially earlier in the year when they were scoring a lot of points. It's just because they had more talent. It wasn't because the offense was built on on solid bones, and they never had any solid bones to build on. He never gave that offense an understanding of who we are and what we do. And when you send football players out there, even talented ones, with a lack of understanding of who they are and what they do, that's what they—that's what it's going to look like. And I honestly believe that maybe James had a vision for it and, and Mike Yersich couldn't execute it. I think that's kind of what happened in the end. But most importantly, the players didn't know. It's not that they didn't buy in. They truly didn't know what their real purpose was as an offense. They didn't, it's not that they didn't buy it. I really don't think they knew it. And Andy, there was obviously a real disconnect between James Franklin and Mike Yursich. We started to get hints of it from James Franklin several weeks ago when he made, oh, I have to get on the headset and remind him to keep using plays. If they're working, stick to it. Um, After the game against Michigan, you know, there were his comments about doing what the game plan was or making passes, easy passes for the quarterback. And it continued in his press conference on Monday where it was, yeah, we talked about this during the week and it didn't transpire during the game. Yes, he was told. So it sounds like this may have been going on for a little while where you had a head coach saying one thing and I, you know, insubordination might be a strong word, but it sounds like that's what we were bordering on. Oh, insubordination, uh, you know, a lack of cohesion in the communication between the two, the, the, the red flag was me. And I've pointed out on the show was uh, the Indiana game when James had a play sheet, right? He didn't have a defensive play sheet. We know that. He had an offensive play sheet. That was a that was a bit of a red flag that like, okay, he's really not happy with what's going on. But here's yeah, to your question, to your point, you're 100 percent right. But I'll put it this way for you, Jimmy, and for the fans out there, your this offense was sort of you adjust game to game, right? And you adjust for the opponent. So that's why it looks like it did against Maryland, and then how it did against Michigan, because. They're just you make some adjustments for the opponent. The the inherent problem was when you Mike Yersich was completely basing this offense on what your opponent does. At its core, it still didn't know and understand what it was as an offense. Yeah, you make some adjustments and you change some things up here and there a little bit in your offense, but you need to have those bones in place of this is what we are, this is who we are, this is how we do it, and this is what we do. And in go-to situations, you had no idea what they were going to do. Where 
First and goal at the five. What are they going to do, Jimmy? Are they going to run the T formation? Are they going to hand it off to the running backs? Are they going to use the tight ends? Are they going to throw a fade to the corner of the end zone? Yeah, okay, they've done all those things. Which one is their sort of identity of what they are as an offense? I can't answer that for you. I have no idea this year. I have no clue what they are in those tight spots in offense. Second one, what are you as an offense? Don't know. I have no idea what this offense is. And I think that's where they got to, that the opponent became more important in understanding who they are. And that that's the responsibility of the offensive coordinator. 100%. Andy, when we pick this up in quarter two, I think I have an interesting observation on the fan response to this, and I want to get your take on it. And I think you may have already answered the question, but I'm going to put it to you anyway. We're going to do that when we start quarter number two. Hey, Penn State fans, here is your chance to take something off your bucket list. That's right, Go PSU RV is offering a full range of RV setups ready for a weekend of great tailgating at their Lion's Den, which is the closest single-game RV overnight lot to Beaver Stadium. You can arrive anytime Friday afternoon. Stay until Sunday morning, avoiding all that traffic. Don't miss this unique opportunity. Go online to gopsurv.com and reserve your RV today. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new Coffee Barbecue Dry Rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. He's Andy, I'm Jim. We are talking Penn State football and everything that went on this week. More specifically, the change at offensive coordinator, what led up to it. And Andy, you were talking about that situation where they were inside the five and what do they do and what is their identity? And I'll tie it all in. I'll get there. Trust me. But I listen to fans and read the message boards. And it's fascinating to me is you have a faction who says, 
my goodness, you have these two wonderful running backs. They got to run the ball more. You have another faction that says, gee, you've got this five-star quarterback. Why aren't you throwing the ball more? Well, they can't both be an issue that they're not running enough and they're not throwing enough. What I think the issue is, and you hit upon it when you said, what is their identity? And by identity, if you're a running team, doesn't mean you run all the time. No one right. could do that unless you're Michigan in the second half and run 30 times in a row. Um, and you can't pass the ball all the time, even if you're built around that. But there should be a continuity in how the plays are called. You brought up the situation where they had the ball, the Nittany Lions, inside the five-yard line against Michigan, 0-0 score early in the game. And it's like, okay, how do we attack this? And they had five plays from scrimmage inside the five and netted a total of one yard. And you couldn't, it appeared they had no idea who they were. And so the ordering of the plays, they went for the quarterback sneak to tush push on second down, and they were still four yards away from the end zone. Well, that didn't feel like it made much sense because if it gets stalled out for a yard, you probably have to pass on third down. I would have been better off. I thought they would have been better off if they ran that play on first down. If you pick up a yard or two, you start to say, hey, we've got four tries at this. We should probably be able to hammer it in. Then when you get forced to pass the ball, it's they a low percentage fade pass. Why? Well, it worked last week against Maryland, so it it just seemed like there was no continuity, no plan to what they were doing. Each play was independent. There was nothing on first down to set up second down to set up third down. And just in contrast, you saw Michigan third and long. They ran the ball a couple times. They took advantage of Penn State. They game planned those things. And it was effective. That was the difference. This now leads us, Andy, to where we are, which is co-offense interim offensive coordinators in Ty Howell and Jawan Sider. What should Penn State be looking for now? Do Ty Howell and Jawan Sider have a chance of getting these jobs? Wow. Um, I, I would think. I would think they should have real chances. This is going to be, as I've thought about this throughout the week, um, they're just interim. They're just trying to get them through the game and and through the bowl game. And and maybe they'll hire somebody before the bowl game, whatever. But interim is clearly the tag for these two. There is no, well, these guys are the next guys in waiting. James Franklin's got, he's got his core values and his sort of, how he wants to run a, uh, this Penn State football program. This offensive coordinator on is it's sort of going to put that job on the line. In in my opinion, this will. What has he got? He's had one, two, three. He's had five offensive coordinators now. Correct. Um, At least, yeah. One, two, three. Don't worry. He had a lot of them, Andy. He had a yeah, lot of them. I, this was, Mike Yersich was his fifth offensive coordinator. I'm sorry, I just had to do that in my in my bald head for 30 seconds. So he's done inside and outside, right? He's done both. So unsuccessfully now, the last two times, outside, outside, right? He went outside, the last two hires. 
Does he go outside? Does he go inside? But he has to find somebody. Kirk Shiraka clearly wasn't, and Mike Yersich ended up not being. They were not able to execute what James' vision is for Penn State and an offense. They couldn't do it. He has to make sure now he finds somebody that is not a great offensive mind that's going to change this offense and make it develop and sort of grow and become something that he, you know, envisions it to be in the future. He needs somebody who can figure out how to make this offense run like he wants it run at Penn State right freaking now. He has to figure out somebody who can take what they have and execute what he wants. That's why it's a it's a tough it's a tough hire for him. It's really important that he find somebody that understands what he wants as the head coach out of an offense instead of finding somebody that he thinks can coordinate this offense in their likeness and image. He needs to find somebody to coordinate this offense in his likeness and image. All right, Andy, let me carry your theory the next logical step. This is no inside information, not me hearing anything, but just my own theory. To your point, he's brought in outside guys, Kirk Sharaka, last of the year, and I'm not sure how much it was Sharaka's fault that he was gone as much as it was he wanted to make the hire of Mike Yursich, who was not just a guy, he was the guy. He was the guy James Franklin really, really wanted. And that didn't work, probably because his vision didn't match James's vision. So now, and this is just from an outsider looking in, I think there's a chance he might go with Cider and or Ty Howe simply because they're his guys, been in his system, and James Franklin has talked about how much more collaborative it would be now. Kind of pointing out Mike Yersich didn't see the vision the same way, and I think James Franklin, in his shoes, would you not rather sink or swim with your guys going with your theory of how the offense should be called, Andy? That is my instinct as well, that he hires somebody from within. I like I like Jay Wan Sider a lot, and I kind of thinking when I ask, like, wow, would, would he be a good offensive coordinator? And I think of him as a running backs coach and the way he recruits and develops and, you know, understands how to use multiple backs and, and just a, all the nuanced things, my answer becomes – why not? What tells me that he is not ready to be an offensive coordinator? Is he a play caller? No. Is he going to get his feet a little wet? Yeah. But is he experienced? Is he seasoned? Do you need experience at that coordinator position? It's seasoned. Look what Manny Diaz, head coaching, previous DC experience. Look what he brings to the table. Yep. That's what seasoning brings to you. It brings you Manny Diaz's ability to coordinate a defense. Guess what? Those guys aren't hanging out there like low-hanging fruit from a tree, Jimmy. There's not many Manny Diaz's out there. So I kind of look at it and think, why not? Outside, outside kind of hasn't worked. I don't think James has – you You have it right there in front of you. Why not take a chance on it? You've taken a chance outside. Time to take a chance on the inside. Last one was Ricky Ronnie. Ricky Ronnie was a good offensive coordinator. He just left to be a head coach. 
There was nothing wrong with him coordinating an offense. Inside guy. Well, you could also argue on that one, Andy, that he left for an old Dominion job. It wasn't like he left for a head coaching job in a Power 5 conference or the Southeast Conference. So there's some talk that he may have been, well, if not pushed out the door, at least it wasn't uh, too upset that he made that move. Now, here's you asked, why not? Let me give you the why not on both Jawan Sider and Ty Howe. And I know neither guy have not spoken to either one. Jawan Sider has been the running backs coach for 14 years, going from Marshall to West Virginia to Florida to Penn State. Correct. With West Virginia, Florida and Penn State specifically, those are pretty big programs. The next step is you know, a coordinator position somewhere. How come he hasn't made that move yet? And it may be he's just happy where he is and working with James Franklin, but you have to at least ask that question. He's 46 years old, been a running backs coach a long time, maybe passed over previously as the OC. Ty Howell is only 32 years old. He does have some play calling experience at Western Illinois, but he's got very limited experience coaching at this level. Those are the negatives, Andy. So, you know, if if they don't choose to go that way, I would not be surprised. Because the fact is, an offensive coordinator position at a Penn State, that's a pretty high-level position. It's still attractive to a lot of people. It it still is attractive. And there are some tools that you would be working with, assuming, you know, players don't leave, right? You do have, you know, one of the tight ends doesn't transfer. One of the running backs doesn't transfer. You know, I don't think Drew Aller's going anywhere, but God forbid Drew Aller transfers. You're still going to have some assets in your cupboard to work with as an offensive coordinator. I still think you can, we can ask all the questions we want, qualified, who's done what, who's done what. I still believe that this hire is so eminently important for James Franklin because he has to find, no matter, all of those qualifications matter, Jimmy, but is it the person that he can fulfill his vision for the offense? I think he's kind of lost a little sight of that in trying to evolve his offense when I think it's already a productive sort of offense the way he likes it run. I like his offense. I like it a lot. I think he tried to get away and evolve it. And I don't mean that it's stuck in the caveman ages. I mean, he can still evolve it, but I think he wanted to evolve it at another level. And that sort of attempt to do that hasn't worked. And I really think he needs to go back to his roots as a, as an offensive guy. And a, when as his time as a coach and how he envisions an offense and can he find someone to coordinate that in his likeness and image? Really important. Last point on this, Andy, is there are a lot of people who will say the last thing we need is James Franklin's fingers in the pot, you know. Oh, right. Uh, that uh, you got to give an offensive coordinator full autonomy to run it the way he wants. I don't think that's what James Franklin wants, and I don't blame him because it's his neck on the line if this yep. team wins or loses. You know what? If I'm in James Franklin's shoes, I want it done my way also. And that's why my theory that 
I wouldn't be that surprised if he went internal with the hire. All right, Andy, that's it for quarter two. Stick around. We've got your questions. We're going to ask Andy. Hey, Penn State fans, here is your chance to take something off your bucket list. That's right. Go PSU RV is offering a full range of RV setups ready for a weekend of great tailgating at their Lion's Den, which is the closest single-game RV overnight lot to Beaver Stadium. You can arrive anytime Friday afternoon. Stay until Sunday morning, avoiding all that traffic. Don't miss this unique opportunity. Go online to gopsurv.com and reserve your RV today. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new Coffee Barbecue Dry Rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's quarter number three. That means it's time to ask Andy. We take your questions. Andy answers them. He appears completely ready for it. At the end, he will pick out the best question. Whoever sent it to us, they'll win the prize pack from 409tailgateclub.com. Your place to go for all your great barbecue sauces, barbecue rubs, Bloody Mary mix, the whole nine yards if you want a barbecue. All right, Andy, you ready for the questions? This should be fun, Jimmy, after what's been going on. Let's go. All right, let's start with Brian in Georgia who says, why does the offense look open and takes chances against West Virginia and Maryland and then so conservative against Ohio State and Michigan? Why can't you try the same schemes regardless of opponent? Thank you, guys. Yeah, really good question, Brian. Great question, Brian. You are 100% Brian in Georgia. And the reason they don't is because that's they don't know and – they don't know who they are. They're just simply a game-to-game, play-to-play offense. And they don't have an identity. They didn't They didn't have an identity. They never established an identity. They never worked to establish an identity. Hello, that's coaching. Um, and they didn't have one. So that's why it 
looks like when it's second and one, you're sitting there going like, oh man, what the heck are we going to do here? Right? And you're doing that because I'm doing that. Jimmy's doing that. And you're sitting there going like, oh man, I wish Katron Allen would have got over the line for that first down. Because you're sitting there thinking, what the heck are we going to do? And that one yard, while it's one yard, it's a, it means a lot. And that is a sort of manifestation of the lack of cohesion. And in big games, it got even more exposed against quality opponents. It exposes itself. West Virginia and Maryland, your examples, very good ones, by the way, they were not level it was not a level playing field. Penn State had some huge matchup advantages. There were no matchup advantages against Michigan. That's when your plan and purpose need to be even more concise, clear, because they get exposed. Good question. Okay, let's move on. Let's go to Victor in Wilmington. He says, one of the discussion points on an offensive coordinator is the type of quarterback and then the style of play on offense. Dual threat quarterback, versus pro style, and then the offense would follow. Bo style versus Drew style. What does Franklin want, and does it match Drew Aller? Also, should the offensive coordinator be able to adapt to his talent? I'll answer the second part first. Really good double-sided question, uh, Victor and Wilmington. I appreciate it. The second part is yes, the offensive coordinator absolutely should adjust what he has. In an ideal scenario, I see a James Franklin off offense as James likes it more, a little more in a Bo Prabula style quarterback. However, there is there are distinct differences between Bo and Drew. I'll use these two quarterbacks as an example, but the gap's not as big as what you think. It's just a bigger gap on the top end. Bo Prabula is better with his legs. Drew Aller's better with his arms, but with his arm. Beyond that, there's really not necessarily a mild difference between their what they do and their skill sets. And I don't think that Penn State this year, with Mike Yersen coordinating this offense, fully realized sort of the Drew Aller's ability to be a little bit mobile and move. I I, I would love to see him throw more on the run, Jimmy. I didn't see any intent to move him, move the pocket, and get him throwing on the run. So uh, in an ideal world, really, really interesting question. It, it is more of a Bo Prabula-type quarterback, but when you have the skills and talent of a guy like Drew Aller, you have to adjust the offense to fit him. That's It's that simple. You know, Andy, uh, over the years, if you look at high school rankings, ratings of quarterbacks, they actually separate them out to the dual threat and pro yep. style, which I think is ridiculous because some of the quarterbacks, how they evolve in college. Do you remember when Will Levis was brought in to run the ball and that's what he did? He was considered a pro style quarterback coming out of high school. Right. And, and there's many other examples of it. I think the thing is, it's not a black and white issue. There's shades of gray here. And I do think that Drew Aller is more athletic than he gets credit for. Yeah, yep. he's not the same runner Bo Perbuli is, not as shifty, but he's a big, strong guy. And if I'm a DB, I don't want to see him running at me. And again, one of Jim's pet peeves, if you're going to run the read option and the option is supposed to be the quarterback pulling it out and running it, 
You got to at least show it once in a while. They never did. I stand corrected. They did it once. All right. So here we go. Let's go to Stephen Columbia. So every year in the past 10 years, there's some reason, in parentheses, excuse, why the Nittany Lions can't get over the hump. They're not big enough. They don't have enough NIL money. Facilities not good enough. Need more money for coaches. Six offensive coordinators in 11 years and on and on and on. We're always putting a finger in the dike to stop a leak. Then when we fix that leak, there's a new leak in the dike. Has James Franklin run out of fingers to stick in the dike, and it's time for him to look in the mirror. Steve went a long way to say, is it on James Franklin? This one, this time, this year, these two losses, yeah. 100. It's the, the, the weakest link on for Penn State isn't between – the lines on Saturday this year. The talent isn't there. The the weakest link for Penn State in in the two big games and and some other games as well. It was there were signs that it was exposed. It was the weakest link was on the sidelines. And I'm not saying it directly points at James. James is the leader. It directly points to those that he surrounded himself with and he's got to look in the mirror as the leader. Yeah. It 100% for the first time, I would say that I can recall, you've always kind of quibbled about coaching. This was clear as day. The difference between Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State on the field was negligible. The difference on the sidelines was a Grand Canyon this year in those games. Yes, it, it was, Andy, and I'm with you. This one is on the coaching. However, yep. you know, if – if you're going to put this on James Franklin, I find it fascinating. The defense does well. It's because of Manny Diaz. The offense fails. It's on James Franklin. Right. A bit yeah. of a double standard there. So, you know, if you're going to give him credit for all that goes wrong, you're going to have to give him some credit for what goes right. I okay. Uh, Jim in Syracuse says, Andy and Jim, in the immortal words of Henry VIII's sixth wife, who before her marriage said, me thinks a lady should have her head examined for taking this job. Over the past 10 years, Coach Franklin has had one offensive coordinator leave after two years, only to find head coaching failure in the Southeast Conference. Another shipped off after two years to Tier 2 College Oblivion. And three others publicly beheaded after suffering ridicule from Penn State fans and the national press. So my question is, what self-respecting offensive coordinator would even want this job? So, yeah, Jim in Syracuse, that's – it's not unusual. Yeah, I, it, it really isn't. I mean, Joe Moorhead taking a Mississippi State job, every offensive coordinator in the country is going to pretty much take that job, right? Like, you know, they're going to take a head coaching position. Ricky Ronnie, maybe that was mutual, but he's a, he's a younger guy. That's a – that's a step up, you know, to become a head coach. Are, are you looking at, you know, the other side of the ball and the defensive coordinator, you know, going to Virginia Tech? Is that the same thing? I don't think it's viewed the same way. So the inside, the guys hired from the outside, yeah, they were they were beheaded. And that happens. Offensive coordinators and that offensive football and coordinators in the modern game, it's a struggle. Look at the NFL just as a quick example. This from last year to this year, 15 new coordinators, Jimmy, half, almost half in the NFL. The offensive coordinator 
is an endangered species in the modern game, both at the collegiate level and the NFL level, and that's just the way it is. And the other way to look at this, Andy, is you've got Penn State, with the talent they have, they're on the cusp of being elite, okay? I think everyone could agree. We talked about it. They're equal or close on talent level with both Ohio State and Michigan, top five teams, both hoping to get into the college football playoffs. If you're an offensive coordinator, you've got to look at this job as it's almost a no-lose situation. Penn State, it's been a national embarrassment the way the offense performed in the big games, Ohio State and Michigan. Good way to put it. If a new offensive coordinator comes in, and in that big game next year, and there'll be, you know, the the new teams coming in from the Pac-12, and, you know, Ohio State and Michigan are still in the conference. I forget. I guess they play Ohio State, not Michigan, or vice versa. doesn't matter. But one of those big games, if the Penn State offense looks good, the variable, variable will be the new offensive coordinator. The same way that every national writer is jumping on uh, James Franklin, Mike Yursich, Penn State's offense, they will do the complete opposite if a new coordinator comes in and they show well. that James Franklin won't get credit. It will be that coordinator who gets credit. It's almost yep. like a no-lose job. Plus, you are at the level of Penn State. Not a lot of those coordinator positions open up at that level of team, okay? This is a team that's going to be very disappointing to its fans, and they're going to probably finish 10-2. and So go ahead, Andy. I just wanted to point out one thing when we're looking at this. let us I just wanted to say this, and this just popped in my head. Okay, it was clear Drew Aller did not – he did not perform well against Ohio State. He didn't. And – you had the stuff on the side and the offensive coordinator and the disconnect and all that's still going on. He played better against Michigan and he was not a problem. He played I, okay, he didn't light it up, Jimmy. Jimmy, he didn't light it up. But he wasn't he wasn't creating problems. He wasn't just awful. He was better and he was executing at a higher level. And I'm going micro, not macro. We're we're running out of time. I'm just gonna say I don't know. Okay. We need a we, we need a winner, Andy. Yeah, good questions. I knew they'd be fired up this week. Um, two-sided, Victor and Wilmington, good two-part question. You went the extra mile. You're our winner this week. Thank you very much. All right. Very good, Andy. Victor is our winner. Coming up, quarter four, we've got Sean in for Sean's take. Andy, do you know last week, Sean went 7-0. and Oh, with his picks against the spread. 7-0. and oh. Let's see how he does this week. Stay tuned for that. Hey, Penn State fans, here is your chance to take something off your bucket list. That's right. Go PSU RV is offering a full range of RV setups ready for a weekend of great tailgating at their Lion's Den, which is the closest single-game RV overnight lot to Beaver Stadium. You can arrive anytime Friday afternoon. Stay until Sunday morning, avoiding all that traffic. Don't miss this unique opportunity. Go online to gopsurv.com and reserve your RV today. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. 
Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. We headed to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante along with Sean Gold. It is time for Sean's Take. This is where Sean takes a look at the games this upcoming weekend. And gives us some winners. He did this last week. Sean, so how was your record last week? We were a perfect 7-0. You gave me the two additional picks to make the under on Iowa Rutgers and the spread. We hit them both. We hit the five games we went into the week with. It was a pretty solid weekend, if you ask me. 7-0. Sean, that's more than solid. That's spectacular. I hope our listeners took your advice. And I'm glad you're coming back. You didn't just choose to retire after a seven and zero week. I'm not sure if I wouldn't have done that. No, we got it. We got to keep it going. We got to try to add five, six more this week. Okay, let's see if we could do that. Let's start where we typically do with Penn State. A week ago, it was Penn State, Michigan. You used your head instead of your heart. You went with the Wolverines. Have to tell you, that was a winning pick. This week, it's Rutgers at Penn State. Penn State is a 20-and-a-half-point favorite, a pretty big number. And, again, we talked about the Penn State-Michigan game last week, and the question was, how would the Wolverines react to everything going on around their program? This week, it's how will the Nittany Lions react to everything going around their program with the change at offensive coordinator. Yeah, the one thing I'd like to start out by saying is that Penn State really didn't play that bad against Michigan. It wasn't a blowout. It wasn't a demoralizing loss or anything like that. And the one thing I know for sure is that Rutgers does not have the same rushing attack that Michigan has. So the biggest issue that Penn State faced last week is not an issue for them this week. And I don't think this loss is going to affect Penn State like the Ohio State loss. That one definitely hurt team morale. I don't think this Michigan loss is going to have the same effect. So if Iowa can shut Rutgers out, so can Penn State. Give me the Nittany Lions for a big win and give me them to cover this big time spread. All righty. 
That'd be, I'll tell you what, maybe the team wasn't as affected, but I know the fan base really was, so it'd be nice if the team can bounce back. Let's stay in the Big Ten. Let's stay with the Big Two. First of all, let's go with Michigan. Uh, Michigan is at Maryland. They're coming off that Penn State game, and it's interesting for them. It's, okay, will there be any hangover for them from this big Penn State win a week ago? Yeah, I really don't understand. Is the line 19 points? Is that what it is still? Yes, I have it at 19 points. So I really don't understand this line. Michigan just beat Penn State. And a couple weeks ago, Penn State beat Maryland by 36 points. So I don't know what went into making this line, but Michigan has clearly taken the Harbaugh suspension very personally. They rallied around it very well against Penn State. And I don't see this game as a trap game for Michigan. I think they're going to go in. I think they're going to blow Maryland out. I'm surprised the spread isn't bigger. And so I think it's pretty obvious I'm going to be rolling with Michigan here once again. Um, I would still say they're the most complete team in the country. I think we're going to see a lot more passing from them this week than we saw last week. And I think they're going to handle business pretty easily. Well, it's not going to be too tough for them to pass more than they did last week, considering they didn't throw a uh, pass in the second half. Well, they threw one, and they got the pass interference call, so it wasn't official. Let's stay in the Big Ten. It's Minnesota at Ohio State. There, the number is pretty big. Ohio State, a 27.5-point favorite. Yeah, this one's really interesting because 27.5 points – it's just a lot of points no matter who you're playing against. That's that's a blowout, you know, and, and you got to keep your foot on the gas if you're going to cover by 27 and a half. Over the past four years, Minnesota's actually played Ohio State pretty tough. That hasn't resulted in them winning games against Ohio State, but the past four times these two teams have met, Minnesota would have covered this line each and every time. Another interesting fact in this game that makes this one very difficult is that Michigan did beat Minnesota by 42 points at Minnesota earlier this year. So that would say Ohio state at home is definitely capable of covering this spread. But at the end of the day, college football is a crazy place. That's something we learn time and time again, and you never know what to expect. So I'm, I don't think that Minnesota has any shot at winning this game, but I will go as far to say they may give Ohio state a minor scare and cover the spread. Wow. That's one I'm actually looking at the other way. I think Ohio State is catching their stride now. They're at home. Um, I believe this is the last, uh, it'll be senior day for them, I believe, because they're going to be at Michigan next week. I kind of like Ohio State here to, to just blow them out, kind of, you know, not so much bragging rights, but just to show that they are ready come Michigan time. They're ready to cruise into that game. So I'm I'm thinking Buckeyes for that one. That's my I shouldn't question you. You're coming off seven and oh, but I'm not sure about that one. Let's move on. <laughs> we we do have one game uh, in the Southeast Conference, and that's Georgia at Tennessee. Georgia is a ten and a half point favorite. This is interesting. I wonder what this spread would have been before the season started. I believe a lot of people would have thought this is the game that would be the tester for Georgia. This would be their toughest regular season game. And just based on where these teams are headed, and Georgia's been playing well the last couple weeks. They got Brock Bauer back, the tight end. That's a big return for them. 
And so the spread ends up, it's double digits at 10 and a half points. What are you thinking there, Sean? Yeah, I think when you look at this game, for Tennessee specifically, you have to throw out last week. A 36-7 to drubbing against Missouri is not the Tennessee team that we're going to see this week. Some weird things happened last week. you got to throw that one out because Tennessee has been still a pretty solid team all year long. Unfortunately for them, though, as you said, Georgia seems to really be hitting their stride right now. And I think that's very dangerous for Tennessee. So we've talked all year about how Georgia hasn't looked the part. And I do think they've turned the page and are really refining their identity again that they've had the past couple years. And it is tough when you look at Georgia to see them losing this game and and not to see them potentially being a three-peat national champion. And if they're going to do that, they're going to win this game and they're going to cover the spread here. So being at Tennessee is a slight concern because you do have that rowdy environment there but I still got to roll with the dogs to cover the spread here. That's one I agree with also. And I think it's like you hit it correctly that they're, they're hitting their stride and Tennessee, maybe funny things happened against Missouri, but it's still got to be, in my opinion, a demoralizing loss for Tennessee. I know they're home. I know that's got to be helpful to them. But I'm just not seeing them really making a close game of this. Give me the Georgia Bulldogs. Give me the team that smells it now, that third national championship in a row. And I guess we're headed for a Georgia-Alabama Southeast Conference championship game once again. All right, it's time to go out to the Pac-12, which might be the most interesting conference in the country. A lot of good teams. They're finally thinning out the herd a little bit. We found out USC is not who many of us thought they were to start. Utah suffered from having their quarterback out. So things are changing. It appeared all along Washington, Oregon are the two elite teams in this conference. Washington beat Oregon in a really close game, undefeated. Now we see Washington at Oregon State, and Oregon State is actually a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Sean, I had to look at that a couple times to be sure it was what I saw. Yeah, you look at it, it's the 11th-ranked, two-loss Oregon State team favored over the undefeated fifth-ranked team Washington Huskies. Why? That was my question when I saw this, but as I looked at things, Oregon State has been phenomenal at home. They're 14-1 and in their last 15 home games. And this is not a place you want to go to if you're Washington. So that's been one of the things. I picked against Oregon State at home a couple times this year, and it burned me badly. And that's the big question this year. Can somebody finally take them down at their home stadium? So I love this Washington Huskies team. But it I've been waiting for something to happen with Washington. Over the past five games against Oregon, Arizona State, Stanford, USC, and Utah, their largest margin of victory was 10 points against USC. Now that means both Stanford and Arizona State played them very, very closely, which is not something you would expect from the fifth-ranked team in the country. So I think this week some of their luck is going to run out, and I do see Oregon State handing them their first loss while also covering the spread. Wow. Uh, that's another one where I'm going to go the other way. I, I wonder if that was that lull from Washington that you'll sometimes get from the better teams. They had the big win with Oregon. 
As you said, they did beat USC by 10. I think I'm going with Washington on that one. So, Sean, we just got through our typical five-pack of games. Last week, I threw you the curve with the Rutgers-Iowa game. This week, you threw me a curve. It's the Ivy League, the game. It's Harvard at Yale. Now, you wouldn't have a biased rooting interest in this one, would you? No, no. Being a, a senior at Yale, there's no biases here. No biases at all. I just know that we're going to take care of business at home. We may have lost a couple early games this season, but we're going to handle business on Saturday here at the Yale Bowl. Well, it's interesting in looking this up. Harvard is 5-1. and one, Yale is 4-2. and two. As we record this, it doesn't appear that a spread is out. You and I talked about it. We both think this is, is going to be a pretty close spread, but there's at least a share of the conference championship at stake here, so there's a lot going on. Real quickly, though, for those of us who are not real familiar with what's going in, on in the Ivy League, just how big is this rivalry? Yeah, you know, this is one of the oldest and most historic rivalries in college football, and it gets overlooked because it's not a Power 5 game, but being in New Haven and seeing the average attendance at normal Yale games compared to Yale-Harvard, it's a big deal, and New Haven's popping like never before. Come Wednesday, every week with Yale-Harvard, you start to get a different buzz within you know our little college town here, and it really is a fun tradition, and it really is something that means a lot to both schools, and especially for Yale this year. Harvard, if they win, they're the outright Ivy League champions. If we beat Harvard on Saturday, we split the title with them. There's no conference championship in the Ivy League, but it would mean a lot to take away a sole championship away from Harvard and get a share of that. So there's a lot at stake for this game, and I do encourage people to tune in and watch this game because if there's an Ivy League game to watch, it is Yale-Harvard. Okay, the unbiased opinion of yale Sean Gold is go with the Yale Bulldogs. That is it for our show. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Hey, Penn State fans, here is your chance to take something off your bucket list. That's right. Go PSU RV is offering a full range of RV setups ready for a weekend of great tailgating at their Lion's Den which is the closest single-game RV overnight lot to Beaver Stadium. You can arrive anytime Friday afternoon. Stay until Sunday morning, avoiding all that traffic. Don't miss this unique opportunity. Go online to gopsurv.com and reserve your RV today. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. 
Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network.